So we just uh, last week started a brand new uh, series that we are calling Essential Prayer. And we came off what was a fantastic series earlier in September um, called The Benediction. And now we are really focusing on this time of prayer. And it's leading us into November where we are going to actually be calling the church to a very special month of prayer where we're gathering together to focus our hearts on what God is doing, not only in the life of our church right now, but what he's calling us to in the, in the future. This really is a time of vision. And so the idea here is that we commit this season to prayer. And so we're calling this essential prayer. And what we're trying to do is we're trying to start high level, right? So last week we talked about how God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in times of trouble, in times of chaos. And we looked at the life of King Hezekiah. And how he dealt with this incredible chaotic moment when the Assyrian army was bearing down and he took his prayers and he laid them at the feet of the Lord. And God heard his prayers and responded. And we talked about how even when we face the chaos in our own lives, God hears our prayers. And that we are called to be still and know he is God. And today we shift gears a little bit and we're going to go a little bit more micro, a little bit more individual. And today what I want to talk about is actually the quality of our prayers. And I'll ask you this question. And it's really for all of us. Are your prayers bold? Are your prayers bold enough? Because if they are, they are likely dangerous. Hopefully that word dangerous piques your attention. Because bold prayers are dangerous prayers. They are dangerous to a dry and dull religion, and they are dangerous to a world that has rejected Christ. Bold prayers are dangerous prayers. So let me pray for us, and then we will open up the scripture. Father, we thank you again for this time, and we ask, Lord, as we look at the story of Peter and John, that you would illuminate the scriptures to us, that you would speak to our hearts, and as always, Father, let what is said here bring you all the glory. Let it only be what you want to be said, and nothing more, nothing less. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, everyone has some sort of relationship with prayer. Everyone has some sort of relationship with prayer. Prayer can be a tricky thing for some people. They might find it difficult for one reason or another to pray. Um, For others, it may be as normal as the air that they breathe. Some people just have almost what seems like the gift of prayer. They just love to pray and they pray in all circumstances like Scripture teaches. Some people actually don't believe in prayer or certainly in prayers that make any difference in the world. And some others still feel maybe a sense of guilt because they don't pray enough. And sometimes people feel like, well, I can't pray. I'm not very good at praying. I don't want to get up and stand in front of people and pray because I'm just not that good at it, right? There's all these different emotions that come. But maybe some people don't pray because many of their prayers in the past have been left unanswered. Maybe in their lives they've dealt with painful situations that they prayed to God for, and the answer that came never satisfied. Now allow me to say something with absolutely no judgment in my heart, no condemnation in my heart at all, but much of what we tend to pray for is what I would call safe prayers. Safe prayers. God, be with us. God, protect us. God bless us. And I'm not judging you because I pray these prayers every day, especially for those that I love. 
But they are indeed safe prayers. And when you think of that word safe, it is really the opposite of what Jesus brought. The reality is this, following Jesus is never safe. And maybe neither should our prayers be safe. And that leads us to Acts chapter 4, our scripture for the day. Now, let me give some context to Acts chapter 4. We're talking about Peter and John. And actually, to set it up, you've got to go back to Acts chapter 3. And what we saw in the story is that Peter and John, um, the resurrection had just happened. Their lives were changed. The church was brand new. There were literally just hundreds of people who were Jesus followers. And Peter and John were going around and they were preaching the good news of Christ, the good news, the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. And they were praying for people and people were getting healed. And in Acts chapter 3, there was a man who had been crippled for 40 years of his life. And they had prayed for him and he had been healed. And he was walking around and it was unbelievable. It literally said that strength came into his ankles and his legs. Now, this man must have been fairly well known because he started making a spectacle of the situation, which if I had been healed after 40 years, I probably would have too. But he was running through the town center. He was getting people's attention, shouting that he's healed. And there was a scene that began to take place. People were starting to notice that something miraculous, a miracle, had happened. And so they started to pay attention. And while this was wonderful, in some ways, Peter started preaching, started teaching about Jesus, praying for more people. It also drew the attention of those who were in political power, which was a religious group called the Sadducees. And with them came the temple guard, and they were suspicious. They were incredibly suspicious. They actually thought that something was going on that they didn't approve of. They were the protectors of the church, right? The protectors of the religious law, if you will. And so the Sadducees started to watch what Peter and John were doing with a sense of judgment and scrutiny and suspicion. They thought that Peter and John were bringing together some sort of cultish movement. And so finally, after hearing their words and rejecting the message of Jesus, they had enough and they arrest Peter and John in Acts chapter 4. They throw them in prison and then the next day or days later, they put them on trial. So they bring them out before the court. They surround Peter and John in this court system. And they ask a very important question in Acts chapter 4. They say to Peter, by what authority do you preach? By what name are you preaching? And this is where we pick up our story in Acts chapter 4.10. And Peter responds with an incredibly bold statement. Peter says, let me clearly state to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that he, the man who was paralyzed, was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, the man that you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. What a bold response. Peter would not be quiet in this situation. Peter says, you make no mistake about who did the healing. This was Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And if you're confused about which Jesus, it was the one from Nazareth, the one that you killed, you Sadducees. 
It's a bold response to this question. Peter rarely missed opportunities like this to bring the good news of Jesus. He was even so clear that there would be no question about which Jesus this was. And what Peter was doing here, and you can't miss this because it sets the tension up of the story even more, is he was challenging the Sadducees. He was saying, basically, you killed Jesus, but God raised him back. And it was a bold statement because the Sadducees did not believe in bodily resurrection in any way. They rejected this idea that God had raised Jesus from the dead. So Peter, in his boldness, is declaring essentially a war against this belief. He said, you did this, you killed him, but God raised him from the dead, and I'm declaring war on your belief. And the Sadducees were totally taken back. And in fact, in Acts 4, verse 13, it says this, the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They were amazed by the boldness of ordinary men, just regular guys who were this bold. And the word ordinary there in the Greek is literally translated here as idiotes, idiotes, which means ordinary, means average, it means unschooled, and it also can mean idiots. Thank God that he uses ordinary idiots to do good work in the world, right? Untrained, unschooled, and yet powerful, bold people. So these leaders, sensing the tension of the situation, they saw that this miracle had happened, that there was a man that was healed. They saw that something powerful had happened, but they also were suspicious and critical of Peter and John and really didn't believe that they were doing these things in the name of God, much less this Jesus And so they decided to let him go, but they threatened them before they did. And they said this, don't you preach about Jesus. Don't talk about Jesus or you will pay. Don't heal people. Don't pray for people. Don't pray out loud. Don't preach. Don't perform miracles. If you do, this is a real threat. We will arrest you. We will beat you. And you will physically pay. So Peter and John are released, and what did they do? They prayed, but what didn't they pray? Peter and John, who just had a threat on their lives, went out and they didn't pray this, God, keep us safe. God, protect us. God, don't let anything bad happen to us. God, all we want is a happy life, a happy marriage. We want our money intact, our 401k intact. God, give us a safe and blessed life. All we want to do is be comfortable, God. They didn't pray anything like that. In fact, friends, they prayed an incredibly dangerous prayer. And it's found in Acts chapter 4, verse 29, and I wonder if this isn't the prayer for our church as we move into the next season of our lives. Acts 4, verse 29, they prayed this, and now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Hear their threats, God, and give us great boldness in preaching your word. 
Hear the threats. God, make us bold. Give us an unshakable spiritual conviction that no matter what the personal cost, God, give us courage. Even if it's painful, make us bold. I wonder, and I'm asking myself the same question this morning, when was the last time you prayed a prayer like this? When was the last time you prayed a bold prayer that was a huge risk in your life? When was the last time you even considered the quality and the boldness of your prayers? Let's take a look at what ended up happening, happening in Acts chapter 4. Peter and John pray. They say, Now, Lord, hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Check this out. After this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. That's Acts 4, 29 through 31. I love how it says, after this prayer, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they preached the word of God boldly. When we pray, God, the Spirit of the Lord, makes us bold. God puts us on a path. It's the path of God. And listen, that word boldness actually causes some people to be uncomfortable. They're like, listen, I just love my introvert ways. I love reading my books. I love taking a little break away from people. I'm not really that bold of a person. Biblically speaking, boldness is not a personality trait. It's a mandate that God calls us to pray boldly, to with confidence go before the Lord and say, God, would you change the world? Would you start with me? These, John and Peter, these two men, they prayed and the Holy Spirit came and they preached with boldness. And when you're sitting there considering this, I need to just give you a warning. I need to ask you to be careful. Because if you pray this dangerous prayer, God, make me bold. God, make our church bold. Then we may be given an opportunity to do something absolutely radical. Maybe even dangerous. And maybe even amazing. For God. And you never know what that will be. What an adventure. When we pray for God to make us bold and to empower us to pray these dangerous prayers, we know that there are obstacles that get in the way. There are things that come against us when we pray these dangerous prayers. There are challenges that we face. And there's many more that we can take from this text, but there's three that I'll name today. The first obstacle that gets in the way of this prayer is the obstacle of dullness. The obstacle of dullness. One of the obstacles of bold and dangerous prayers is dullness. In fact, dullness may be one of the words we would use to describe the opposite of what a bold faith looks like. Dullness, don't miss this, is the spiritual and physical novocaine to bold prayers. It numbs us out. While there are many things that the that war against the church and against those that follow Jesus, certainly one of the issues that stands out is the war between dullness and astonishment. Don't miss this. It's the war between dullness and astonishment. And it's not a stretch to say that the church, to some degree, has lost her astonishment. And what do I mean by that? 
First of all, the good news of Jesus is no longer good news. It's okay news. Christianity, that is following Christ, is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into, dare I say, wild-eyed radicals. He changes them into nice and safe people. And when you look at the story of Acts 4, you see an astonishing and bold story where miraculous things happen. And it comes through dangerous prayers. And it's worth asking, what happened to the radical Christianity, the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down for the glory of God? What happened to the category smashing, the life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel, that is the good news of Jesus, that spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered by those in power dangerous? What happened to the kind of Jesus followers whose hearts were so dialed into dangerous prayers that they had no fear, that they spoke the truth in love no matter what the consequences, that their faith made the world uncomfortable to a degree because it was faith in Jesus, and they were willing to follow this Jesus wherever he called. What happened to Jesus' followers who were filled with passion and gratitude and who every single day weren't able to get over the grace of God? Overcoming a Jesus-following life of dullness means that we need to allow Jesus, and check this word, to ruin our lives. And what I mean by ruin is a holy disruption that comes through the dangerous prayers that we pray when Jesus turns our lives upside down so that our lives can be right side up. We are ruined to anything else in the world. And be aware, if you pray this bold and dangerous prayer for yourself or for your family, your life will not be dull. It will not be mundane. It will be an adventure like never before. Obstacle number one is dullness. We've got a story to tell, and it is a story of saving grace. Obstacle number two, I call the dream stealers. The dream stealers. And if you look um, forward in Acts chapter 5, verse 18, here's where you see Peter and John actually end up back in jail. It simply says this, they were arrested, they arrested the apostles, and they put them in public jail. So this is the second time in two chapters that Peter and John were arrested and put in jail. And I guess I mention this because I wonder if when John and Peter were arrested, if they ever lost hope. Now, I've never been in jail. I visited jail. I've never been in jail. It's probably good for you to know as your pastor, right? Um, I wonder if like being quarantined for, in COVID, like for 10 days, felt a little bit like jail. Isolated, locked down, you know, like you couldn't, there's no freedom. But I wonder if in that space for Peter and John, if they ever lost hope. If they ever wondered the dream that God has put our lives in, are we going to get to live into it? Or is this the end? Did they ever lose hope? Did they ever lose sight of the holy vision that God put on their lives? They were arrested. The jailer, in a sense, the Sadducees, they were dream stealers. One of the obstacles we face in living a life boldly for Christ in praying bold and dangerous prayers is by our dreams being crushed. You probably know what that's like. 
If you're like me, there has probably been a time in your life where you had a dream, maybe even a godly dream. And when you started hoping for it, maybe you prayed for it, maybe even started to take steps towards it, somehow it was crushed. Maybe it was the pandemic that crushed your dream. Maybe it was a relationship that was broken that crushed your dream. Maybe you lost something. There's a great storyteller by the name of Jack Canfield. And he tells this story about a dream stealer that I'd like to share with you. He tells about a, a young high school student whose father was a horse trainer. And because the family had to follow the horse racing season, this young boy had to change schools throughout the years. During his senior year, he was asked to write a paper about what his dreams for his future were. His paper described his dream of owning a 200-acre horse ranch with stables and tracks and a 4,000-square-foot home. He even drew a diagram of the property, and he designed the house. He couldn't wait to turn the paper in. He turns the paper in, and two days later, it came back with an F on the front and a note to go see the teacher. After class, the teacher explained to the boy that his dream was unrealistic. The teacher said that if the boy rewrote the paper with a much more realistic dream, he would reconsider the grade. So the boy went home and he asked his father, what do I do? And his father said, it's your decision. The dad knew this was a really important moment in his life. The boy kept the paper for a week and then he returned it to the teacher after class. And the boy said, here, when he handed it to the teacher, he says, you can keep the F and I'll keep my dream. The teacher was a dream stealer. The teacher was a dream stealer. They limited the dreams. And I guess I want to ask you today, as you sit in this place, has someone stolen a dream that you had? Did you have a dream that was stolen from you in your life? Did you run into something challenging that caused you to lose your bold prayer? Have we got so lost in our culture wars as a church that we've lost sight of the bold vision to follow Jesus wherever he calls Jesus' dream for his followers is to live an adventurous life. It's not a dull or stolen dream. It's not a life free from pain. It's not a life free from suffering. And it is not a life free from challenge. But it is a life where we are called to run like little children in the fields of God's grace. Reclaim the dream that God gave you and pray bold prayers again. Dullness is an obstacle to our bold prayers. Dream stealers are an obstacle to our bold prayers. And the final one, the final, the final obstacle is the obstacle of predictability. Predictability. I'm going to make this bold statement, see if you agree with it or not. Predictability and faith cannot coexist. Predictability and faith, in my humble opinion, cannot coexist. What characterized Jesus and his disciples was literally unpredictability. You've studied the life of Christ. You know what I'm talking about. It was unpredictable. Just look at the power that comes out in Acts 4 and 5. The boldness that came from participating in the work of God. It was unpredictable. The Sadducees in the story were trying to protect and trying to control and trying to keep predictable their religious order. P. 
Peter and John represented the chaos of the unpredictability, the adventure of following the resurrected Christ. The Sadducees were predictable, and they wanted to hold on to their predictable religion, and so they persecuted John and Peter. Peter and John represented what was unpredictable in their faith, and they led by bold prayers that literally shook the ground. If we take the surprise out of our faith, hear this please, all we are left with is a dry and dead religion. If we take away the mystery of the gospel, the mystery out of communion, the mystery out of baptism, if we take the mystery out of the good news of Christ, all we, left, all we are left with is a frozen and, dare I say, petrified dogma or system of beliefs. If we lose our awe of God, then all God becomes is an impotent deity. Following Jesus is indeed a unique experience not one that can be characterized by comparison to other faith expressions. It is a wild adventure. Is that the Jesus you follow? Is that the Jesus you pray to? It is an unpredictable calling that follows Jesus to the ends of the earth. Our faith-driven bold prayers will bring about anything but predictable outcomes. It will bring about a dangerous outcome to a predictable world, and it will cause us to walk a life with a fire in our souls and a wide-eyed gratitude in our faces, and there will be a twinkle in our eyes and, dare I say, a holy mischief in our demeanors. These non-predictable prayers will challenge the status quo and truly give new meaning to the name New City. Now, I'll just close with this. Praying these dangerous prayers doesn't make any sense. It's risky. It will cost us something. It will require maybe more faith than we've ever had before in God. But our lives will never be the same. And this church will never be the same. And friends, it's actually not a happy ever after story. If you know much about the story of Peter and John, you know that their stories don't end up happily ever after. They, they don't pray these bold prayers and then God like blesses them with wives and many children and all sorts of money and you know a nice beach house and they don't retire early and go and sit on the beach in Cancun which is where we would like to be most of the time but that's not the story of their lives in fact they lived quite tragic they met quite tragic endings um, John was sentenced to death for his faith and he was sentenced to death by being boiled in oil in that he actually didn't die and so then he was excommunicated or cast off to the island of Patmos where he was in exile. Peter was sentenced to death for his faith and he um, was to be crucified. And when it came time for him to be crucified, he said, I don't want to be crucified in the same way as my Christ. So he was crucified upside down. But Peter and John's prayer, these dangerous prayers, God literally used to help start a movement that would change the world. Millions and millions and millions of people over hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years are following Jesus Christ today and will continue because of their faith, because of their bold and dangerous prayers. And frankly, it's not too fantastic for me to say the same opportunity is in front of us today.
we have no idea what God may set into motion through one single prayer of boldness. On Friday, Marie and I, my wife and I, we were walking, or we were driving in the car, and we were on the phone with a dear friend of ours from out west. He pastors a church out west, it's a small church, old church, like 100-year-old church, and they've had ups and downs like a lot of churches, and since the pandemic, a lot like New City, they've struggled. They struggle to find momentum. There's no young families. They're an aging congregation, and he's dealing with some tremendous challenges um, as a community, and he was meeting with their leadership team. And he said, and here's what I said to them as we're thinking about trying to get out from under the oppression of the moment. And I, he actually said a phrase that I asked him if I could borrow, and I'd give it to you today because I think it matters to this conversation. He said, stop living with the regrets of the past. Stop living with a fear of the future. Stop living in a disappointment in the present. Stop living with the regrets of the past. Stop living with the regret of the or fear of the future. And stop living with a disappointment in the past. What bold prayer is God calling you to? What bold prayer is God calling us to? New City Covenant Church. Perhaps as we consider praying bold prayers in this season of our lives, we will move away from the regrets of the past. We will move away from a fear of the future. And we'll move away from the disappointment of the present and lean into the very real place where our bold and dangerous prayers change both our hearts and our minds. And maybe if God gives us the gift, he'll give us a chance to participate in changing the world. May that be true of your life. May it be true of our lives together as a church. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Before I pray, and as Jamie's coming up, and we're just eyes closed and heads bowed in the room, I just want to name this before we close today, that probably the most bold and dangerous prayer any of us can pray is a prayer in which we give our lives to Jesus. And so I would just ask you, where's your heart today? Where's your mind today? Have you... Uh, been running from God? Have you been close to the Lord? Have you had a difficult season in your life where you felt maybe even disconnected? A bold and dangerous prayer is, Lord, please be with me where I'm at right now. And maybe for you, today is a time that you'd like to say yes to Jesus, to take a step towards Christ, and maybe to even surrender your heart, your mind, your life to God. This is one of the most beautiful and bold prayers that we can make. And I just want to encourage you, if that's you today, just in your heart and your mind, to pray that prayer. To say, Jesus, I love you, and I want to be in relationship with you. Or maybe for some of you, it's been a long time since you prayed. You've been dealing with some baggage, and you've been dealing with some, you know, difficult things that have pushed you away from God. Maybe you just need to lay that down in front of the Lord right now. That's a bold prayer. Even like we talked about last week with King Hezekiah facing certain death, he laid it before the feet of Jesus. That's a bold prayer. I would invite you to do that and to take a step closer or back towards God. This opportunity we have as a church to be real with one another, to recognize kind of the baggage that we carry when we walk into this place, 
And the great thing is, is that none of us in this room are perfect. We don't have it all figured out. We're just trying to find Jesus together. Would you take that bold step and would you pray that prayer? And would you enter into a relationship with Jesus that changes everything about you? So God, we love you and we pray so, we're so thankful and we pray in this moment that you would give us a courageous faith, a faith that would see beyond ourselves, beyond our comfort, beyond our safe prayers. And I'm guilty that I do it all the time. But Lord, you're calling us to more. Would you change my life to be more like you? What a bold prayer that is. And so I ask for it to be true. God, would you give us as a church a holy vision for the future? May it be a bold and dangerous prayer, Lord, to a world that rejects you at every turn. God, I want to pray that New City Covenant Church would be a community that would represent the love and the grace of the Lord. And that as we consider the ways that we're reaching out to our friends and our family, reaching out to our neighbors, our coworkers, our teachers, our colleagues, that you would give us opportunity to pray some bold prayers. And that when the calling comes, we would step forward. And that with love in our hearts, with grace on our minds, may we love your people, love them into the kingdom of God. And I do want to pray for my friends in this room right now that are seriously considering what their lives are all about. Lord, you call us to a great purpose. You call us to a great belonging. You give us an identity that is unshakable. So we come before you, questions and all, and we ask that you would make our lives holy, God, that you would save us, that you give us that purpose that you call us to. Father, thank you for this word this morning, and thank you for the community that's gathered here, both in the room and online. I'm so thankful for our online community as well. I pray that you would bless them where they sit today. God, we love you, and we give you the glory for this time. And as we go downstairs and feast together and talk about what we appreciate about our community, may you bless our fellowship down there as well. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen and amen.